Uh, Pastor Jason last week started us off in a series entitled Train to Win. Over the course of the summer, we're going to be looking at 12 spiritual disciplines that, if applied into our lives, will make drastic changes in our spiritual walks for the better. Things that we often overlook like chastity and fasting, celebration, and my favorite, rest. We're going to be looking at these as disciplines. The key kind of cornerstone verse for this series is 1 Timothy 4.8, which says physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. You know, today I get to talk about what is perhaps one of the most misunderstood and misidentified spiritual disciplines. I get to talk about worship. Worship. Before we get into the heavy kind of stuff, can I share a story with y'all? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Let me preface. Before I go into the story, Pastor Chach thinks I'm nervous around adults. It's kind of true because I only hang out with middle schoolers. I tried to dress like an adult today and, you know just impressed, but whatever. I'm not used to impressing adults. And so he thinks I'm nervous around them, and he's got, I mean, there's, there's good points as to why he thinks that, because I always do something incredibly awkward around you guys. I don't know why. Whenever there's a baptism or a speaking moment, I just do something really awkward, and they make fun of me for like months on afterwards. So I figured it would be awesome if we made Sunday morning a little bit like Wednesday night. Wednesday night, we hang out with hundreds of students, and they are engaged and shouting, and they're fiery, and they're awake, and they're just energetic. And so I want to encourage you guys, feel free to talk back to me. Feel free to clap a little bit. Maybe celebrate, because if what you're believing is that these aren't my words, but the Lord's, they're worth celebrating. So you can get a little excited in church, and we're going to believe that and have a good time. Growing up, I was a multi-sport athlete. I love sports. I say sports, plural, because that one time in third grade, I played soccer for the green team, Tabernacle Elementary in South Jersey. My dad was the coach, and I could tell the very first day of practice how awful the season was going to go because my dad, no lie, went to Barnes & Noble before the practice and got one of those how-to fill-in-the-blank for dummies books. You know what I'm saying? He got how-to coach soccer for dummies. I didn't know if he was calling us dummies, the players, or if he was admitting that he himself was a dummy. But lacrosse was really my sport. Lacrosse is kind of like where I found identity growing up. Like it was my thing. And my whole purpose, I thought, my whole passion was to play Division I lacrosse in the NCAA. That was what I was going to do. I was working towards it with everything I had. My sophomore year, I made a big poster, uh, a big poster board thing. And I wrote down every Division I team in their school colors with their mascot. I tried to draw my best picture. It's hard when there's schools like the Providence Friars. I don't know how to draw a friar, but you just put something up there. I would put that poster board or that piece of paper, I put it on the ceiling of my room, my bedroom, above my bed. So it was the last thing I saw when I went to bed and the first thing I saw when I woke up. I wanted it so badly. And my parents wanted to encourage this dream. They, they supported me and invested in me by getting me in the off-season a membership at an indoor sports-specific kind of training facility. This place was rad. It was so cool. Hundreds of yards of turf inside. It's, it's air-conditioned. It's amazing. They've got a weight room the size of this worship center just full of Olympic plates and weights and racks and all these different things. There was aqua, hydrotherapy, aquatherapy, water therapy. There was protein, casein, beta-alanine, all the enes. They had them all. They were all up in there. This place was amazing. And this is where I felt like, as an athlete, I belonged. But there was a disconnect between how I viewed myself and what reality was. Because 
When you saw me, if you saw me at that point in my life, you did not initially think athlete. Instead, you thought ice cream because apparently that's what I shoveled down over and over again. I was a chunker for real. Like growing up, there was no athleticism just put into me at all at that point. And so there was a disconnect. And I thought this is where athletes belonged. And so I go into this place expecting something different and everyone else sees this chubby white kid coming in compared to what I viewed as an elite athlete. This was where the Anaheim Angels trained, the professional baseball team. This is where professional athletes would come. This is where I was gonna work out. This is where we as athletes go. I remember the first day going to the first kind of training session with uh, the, the coach and kind of some other, uh, other athletes. I put on my favorite workout shirt. It had no sleeves. I had a farmer's tan, so it was tan and then pasty, for real. I walked in, I got out of my mom's Jetta wagon with my beats on, bass up all the way, just bumping that music, walking in there. I was looking awesome going in. And I start stretching, I'm feeling it. I'm, I'm getting pretty confident, right? Like I'm a little arrogant, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm, I'm feeling it in there. I feel like I can impress literally everyone else there. And our guy, our coach comes over and he starts to kind of coach us through the stretches and to make things even worse, not only am I trying to impress everyone in there and for some reason I think in my delusional brain that I'm going to impress professional athletes, a girl comes into our group and she just happens to be like the grade crush, like the girl that every guy liked in my grade. And so not only am I going to impress professional athletes, but now I've got to prove to her how much of a man I am. <laughs> I'm going to do it. And so the, the guy starts coaching us. Now, I, I, I had no experience in lifting weights. I had no qualifications to be there at all. I shouldn't have been there. The guy takes us over to where the turf kind of met the weight room. And over there, there's kettlebells. And if you don't know what a kettlebell is, it's these weird-looking things over here. And he starts to demonstrate a movement called a kettlebell swing that I was very unfamiliar with. And I asked, Pastor Danny, would you come up here as our kind of workout aficionado? <laughs> Next-gen pastor. All things fitness. The fittest guy on staff, way fitter than Pastor Chach. Go ahead and grab the heavy one. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's a heavier one. Can you do a kettlebell swing for us? Yep, that's it. It's a kettlebell swing, Pastor Danny, everybody. Oh. I guess he's done, okay. The guy starts to coach us through this movement. It is completely unfamiliar to me, but I am confident and so he says, now it's your turn. Go ahead and do this movement. And so I go over to the weights, and I grab a pretty substantial-looking weight because I'm going to impress everybody. And so I grab the heaviest weight I can find. I pick it up. Um, and when you grab these weights, you kind of got to waddle. So I picked it up, and then you kind of like waddle back to where you go, and you just kind of place it down. And I'm about to get started in the workout. And the guy said that what you do is you put it in front of you, you grab it, and you kind of hike it back, and then you push it forward. It's a full-body movement. Now, I'm going to impress literally everyone. It was my goal. Blow them out of the water. And so I grabbed the weight, I put it in front of me, and I hike it back. And the moment I did that, panic struck me, and there was horror inside because I just about fell on my face pulling it back. I knew nothing good was going to come from this. It goes back, and this is not even a joke, very first day. As it goes forward, I'm, I'm, I push it forward, full body. As it goes forward, in slow motion, I watch as this weight leaves my fingers. Not making this up at all. It leaves my fingers, and there's just, I'm horrified. It's flying. Like, it's going. It's going forward and up. You know what I'm saying? It's going over to the weight room, and it's all in slow motion for some reason, just to magnify the seconds of what I'm experiencing. And so I see the coach, and I'm like, I don't know what to do with my hands. Like, I'm just standing there like, do I try and grab it or what? And the coach is like, 
horrified. The girl's like turning over here and like, and the, for some reason, I don't know how the professional athletes all knew this, but they all like kind of turn and they're looking at me. And I'm this guy, this, this chubby teenage kid in a, in a farmer's tan tank top over here looking humiliated as he watches this kettlebell fly forward when it's supposed to be going up in his hands. It flies into a pile of neatly stacked kettlebells, dumbbells, and barbells and makes the loudest clang imaginable. Everybody heard it, and everybody looked over and saw me. What do I do after that? Like, do I go and work out? Do I try to fix the situation? Do I just leave? Like, there was no coming back from it. And I remember going back there, and people continued to talk about my mistake and my failure, and apparently that just continues to follow me or something like that. I don't know why. I say I'm done with making stupid mistakes. It it just continues to happen. There was a movement that I wasn't familiar with. There was a technique to the kettlebell swing that I was not accustomed to. There's a proper way in which to move the weight. And with that, there's also muscle necessary to move the weight. There is a movement and muscle. And today, as we talk about worship, I want to talk to you about those two things and how they apply to this discipline of worship. The title of my message is Movement and Muscle. Movement and muscle. God, thank you for allowing us to gather in your house. Thank you for allowing us to be in your presence. God, I pray we grasp grasp the gravity of you meeting us here. God, that we would leave this place better because we met you. And that as we go out into our community, there will be life change because of you in us. God, we seek you above everything else, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Scripture I'm looking at is Acts 16, starting verse 23. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? In order to understand this scripture, we've got to look at the context a little bit. This is Paul's second missionary journey. He's accompanied by a man named Silas. Paul was sent to go and evangelize, bring the gospel to Gentiles, those who are not Jewish. And as he's in this area, there is a girl who is demon-possessed. And because of her possession, because she is possessed by a demon, she is able to see into the future. And she's owned. Some people own her. She is a slave, and they are making money off of her demon possession. And so Paul, some events transpire where Paul casts this demon out of this girl, and the owners don't like that because their revenue is now gone. And so what they do is they grab the townspeople, they gather up, they go find Paul and Silas, they beat them, they whip them, they flog them, which means there's cat nine whips, which means their backs are ripped open, and they put them in stocks where their bodies are stretched, stretched uncomfortably, and they put them in prison, and not just any part of the prison, but the innermost part of a prison where there is no light coming in. All for what? for following in what the Lord would have wanted them to do, for following in the Lord's steps, for seeking him above everything else. It brings me to my first point. Worship is a movement. Worship is a movement. It's a technique. It's an action, and an action requires something. An action requires activity. 
There is an all-encompassing way in which the believer, if we put our faith in Christ, we are the believer, it's the, the all-encompassing way in which we worship. It's called obedience. The all-encompassing way in which a believer worships is called obedience. An obedient heart is a willing heart in that it's willing to do anything to bring glory to God. A willing heart is one that sees everything as an opportunity to worship. It doesn't just wait for the right opportunity to worship. It doesn't just wait for Sunday morning to worship. It worships on Monday as it rolls out of bed. It worships on Tuesday night when you're picking your kid up from practice and you're stuck in traffic. It worships on Friday night when you're on a date with your spouse. It's worshiping all the time, seeing everything as an opportunity to worship. Do you see your job as an opportunity to worship? Do you see your job as an opportunity to bring the unique skills and talents that the Lord has given you and advance his kingdom in the marketplace, thus making it worship. If your heart is aligned in, with his and you're seeking his glory above everything else, then the action in which you're taking, the act that you're doing can be worship. If you're playing recreational sports and you're running as hard as you can and lifting weights as, as heavy as you can and doing everything to your utmost unto the Lord, then that is itself an act of worship. Students, you just got out of school. Do you see that respecting and honoring your parents in this next three months of summer can be an act of worship if you're doing it unto the Lord? It can be an act of worship. And when this becomes the mindset of a believer, suddenly everything becomes important. Suddenly all of the normal and routine things that we just wrote off are now substantial and we see God in them. The things that used to suck life out of us, we now find joy in because we're not just vacuuming for our family, we're doing it for the Lord. We're not just doing dishes for our family, we're doing it for the Lord. We're not just going to work to make money so we can take our spouse on a date or take our family on a vacation. We're going to work for the Lord and money is a byproduct of that. Everything we do is unto the Lord. Suddenly everything becomes important. You know, I've had the privilege of serving as an intern here at this church. In my very, very short ministry career, I was an intern for the majority of that time. Uh, for roughly a year and a half, I got to serve under Pastor Danny and Pastor Chase, our student pastors. By the way, Pastor Chase, as Pastor Danny mentioned, is leading a trip to Guatemala. It's gonna be amazing things. I pray that we're all um, in agreement and, and sending them and praying over them as they go, and we're gonna be expectant for life change to come back, not just in where they were, but in the students and the leaders that went, right? As an intern, what you kind of do is you set up a lot of the behind-the-scenes things that no one really notices. As an intern, I set up on Wednesday nights all of our kind of equipment and things like that. By the way, if you don't have a student that comes on Wednesday nights, you need to get them here because not only will they encounter Jesus in a unique way, but they'll be poured into by small group leaders and they'll create lifelong friends with the people that show up because they're unified in worshiping one God. But on Wednesdays, when there would be roughly 250 kids up here, I would set up the basketball hoop, move the ping pong table, set up check-in, move the soccer nets, do all the little things that no one really notices. And after a while, I became bitter and frustrated towards what I was doing. My heart was not doing it unto the Lord. You see, there were some things that people had spoken over me, some, some prophecies, some visions I've had, some innate desires that I believed I was going to glorify the Lord in. People telling me, I'm going to be a preacher. I'm going to pastor. You have a pastor's heart. You're going to lead and you're going to disciple. But there was a disconnect between where I was and where the promise was going to get me. There was a disconnect between where I was and how I saw my future panning out. And I knew how to worship on Sunday. 
I knew how to worship when there was a talented band and teacher on Sunday. I knew how to worship on Wednesday night when Pastor Danny or Pastor Chase was teaching and there was a talented band leading, but I didn't know how to worship in the everyday. I didn't know how to worship in the setup. And he had to bring me to a point of repentance where I turned away and realized my mistake and saw that setting up the basketball hoop was just as important as preaching a sermon. That setting up the ping pong table was just as valuable as leading a Bible study. Because in God's kingdom, they're all tools through which he advances what he's doing here on earth. And he gave me eyes to see that the basketball hoop brought about joy and laughter that he was using to create friendship. That the fences I would bring in here to create an intimate experience for students in worshiping God, it was a tool that he was using. I wonder if there's someone in here who's had dreams or visions. People have spoken on his behalf things over you that you are going to do. You have innate desires to glorify him in certain ways that you want to do incredible things for his name. The business you have, you want to glorify the Lord in it, but you're struggling right now. And I wonder if he's just trying to get you to understand that you don't need a platform to praise, that you can praise wherever you are, that you don't need to wait for the miracle in order to worship. That you can start worshiping before it ever happens. That what's right in front of you, you can start worshiping with that. If you got a broom and there's a floor, you can sweep and worship at the same time. You don't have to be doing anything substantial in order for it to be worship because in God's eyes, everything is substantial. And if, the win, if who is God, then the win is all the time. If who is the Lord, then worship is all the time at that point. If who is God, then we worship all the time, ceaselessly with everything we have and everything right in front of us at that moment. And I challenge you, watch what the Lord will do with your worship. Watch how he'll carry you from season to season into new things to new things, from glory to glory. Because when he takes us from glory to glory, it doesn't always line up with the glory we have in mind. But it's always so much better. Scripture says, in verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? My next point is that worship is a muscle. There's not just a way to worship, a technique to worship. There's not just a movement to it, but there is a cause for worship. There is a why behind what we do. And if you hear only one thing today, I, I pray it's this. The why behind what is he's worthy. God's worthy. That's it. He doesn't have to do anything special in my life. He doesn't have to give me all of my dreams and desires. He's simply deserving of our worship. He's simply worthy of our worship. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God while they're in stocks in the middle of a prison. The darkest point of a prison. All they had done was follow the Lord, but they're still being punished for it. There's still pain happening for it. Sometimes pain and suffering that we walk through isn't because we're being disobedient. Sometimes it's because we're being obedient. Now that doesn't always sound pretty to hear about in church, but it's truth. Sometimes the pain and suffering we're walking through is because we're obedient. Count it as a blessing that the Lord deems you worthy enough to suffer for his good news. 
that you are worthy enough to suffer just as Jesus did. That in that suffering, you might know Jesus just a little bit better. That that disease that you have that's eating you up, in that you might worship Jesus in a sweeter and more sincere way than anyone else could, and they'll see Jesus in you. The suffering isn't always because we're disobedient. Sometimes God wants to use that as a tool to advance his kingdom as well. Paul and Silas, they chose to worship God. They had every earthly reason to quit, to throw in the towel, to hate God, to turn their beaten, torn up backs on him. But they chose to worship at midnight. You know, midnight can feel a lot more like a season than a specific time. Midnight can feel a lot more like a season than a specific point in the day. The middle of the night, when light is furthest away. Middle of the night where you're surrounded by darkness. Where there seems to be no way out. I wonder if anyone feels like Paul and Silas in midnight. Beaten, battered, hurting, bruised. You're in pain. You lost your job, though you were faithful in it. You showed up early and you honored the Lord with what you were doing in that job, but yet you still lost it. The prognosis came back from the doctor and the disease is looking bad, but you were giving the Lord all you had with your life. I love the thought that worship is a muscle. Muscles, they're noticeable the more you have. Muscles, they help you carry a heavier weight. But in order for a muscle to grow, it's got to be torn down. Y'all know that's what's happening when you work out, right? Fellas, when you're doing curls for the girls, when you're, when you're, when you're curling in the squat rack, right, and you've, you're just giving everything you got, and you get to the last one where you can't do a, a normal curl just standing up, so you do the full body curl, and you go like all the way. That's because your bicep tendons, your, your, your muscles and your bicep are literally tearing apart and breaking down. And that's why it's sore when you go home and it's the next day and they're still sore because your body is going to repair that muscle bigger with the nutrients you're feeding it so that it can accommodate a higher level of stress. Y'all, I'm preaching. You don't even know it. <laughs> muscle, worship is a muscle. In the same way that our muscles need to be torn down to grow, so too does our faith. Our faith needs to be torn down sometimes so that it can grow. We need to get to a point sometimes in our life where it's just Jesus and I. Everything else has failed me. Every other person has let me down. Everything I was going after, every idol I was chasing has failed me. It's just me and Jesus. And he's still good. I've got nothing else to hold on to. And he's still good. He's still faithful. When everything else let me down, can you proclaim his goodness when it feels like your situation isn't? Is he still good even though you're hurting? And can you choose to worship and in that way your faith can grow? Worship is a muscle. And here's the promise that God will show up. He might miraculously save you from that situation like he did with Paul and Silas. He might, or he might just suffer with you in it. That's the great thing about Jesus. He's familiar with suffering. He's familiar with obeying God and everyone still hating him. He's familiar with obeying God and having anxiety follow him to the point where he's sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's familiar with being in a dark place, in a tomb that was borrowed. He's familiar with being surrounded by hell itself. He's familiar with midnight. And he's a personal and close God to us. That's why when we're in suffering, we're not alone. As Christians, we're going to face trouble. That's just a reality. But the victory is in his resurrection. And it's our victory as well because he offers it to us. 
And whatever happens, whatever happens in our life, whatever suffering or pain we're walking through can't destroy us. Let me say it again. The suffering or pain you're walking through cannot destroy you if you put your faith in Christ. Even if death were to find us, we have eternity of victory. Even if sickness was to cause us to die, we have eternity of victory because of who we put our faith in. We have the victory. It cannot destroy you. I'm going to call the band back up. As a Christian, we're going to face trouble. In fact, we're going to be identified by it. You ever thought about that? We're going to be identified by our trouble. It's what John the Baptist said when he was asked about Jesus, and he said, there comes one after me whose straps I'm not even worthy to untie, and he will baptize you in Holy Spirit and fire. Holy Spirit, we will be baptized in his Holy Spirit, meaning we're identified by his Holy Spirit, but we're also identified by fire. We are identified by what he put in us, and we're also going to be identified by how we go through trial and tribulation and suffering. And so that as we go through that trial and that pain and that suffering, people might see the Holy Spirit that he put in us. And so in that, as we go through that, we see that we're doing authentic worship and people see Jesus inside of us and they want to know, how are you able to do that though you've got cancer? How are you able to worship so sweetly and authentically though you just lost your job? How are you able to give even though you've got no income coming in? How are you able to worship like that? And you'll say, Jesus. His spirit, his spirit inside of me, his Holy Spirit. The promise isn't that we as believers won't face trouble. We're guaranteed that. The promise is that we won't be alone in the trouble. As David wrote, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table in the midst of my enemies. That means if you want to sit at the table that he's prepared for you and you want to reap the blessings he's got for you and the purpose he's got for you, you got to sit at the table in the middle of your enemies. You see, we like to think that there's a difference between our purpose and persecution, but they go hand in hand. Count it as a blessing that you're being persecuted. Count it as a blessing that junk is getting thrown into your life, that things are coming out of nowhere and they're trying to knock you down because that means you're on the right path. That means you're doing something right. And the enemy's a little threatened by that, and so he's going to throw everything he can at you. Count it as encouragement that you can keep on pressing on with the good news of what he's done. You've got to sit at the table in the middle of your enemies and eat what the Lord has for you. I love that Paul and Silas were worshiping, and not only their chains came off, but the other prisoners' chains came off, which means that worship can change the trajectory of not only your life, but someone else's. I wholeheartedly believe, I'm gonna brag for a second. In our middle school ministry that Madison and I get to pastor together, we have seen some amazing miracles. We are seeing a miracle in motion because we have had in this school year, 53 students give their lives to Jesus for the first time. I'm never gonna get tired of saying that because that is a miracle happening in this church right now. 53 students giving their lives, trusting in Jesus for the first time. That's larger than most youth groups in America and that's just those who are trusting Jesus for the first time. That's amazing. The Lord is showing up and he's doing what only he can do and touching students and healing them and giving them life and joy again. But I also believe that a huge part as to why those things are happening is because of our Tuesday nights. You see, what happens on Tuesday nights is we have our small group leaders come up here, we break bread, we have a meal together, and then they come in here and they pray over every seat that a student will sit in a day before they ever walk on campus. 
They pray and declare life change and transformation before a student will ever step foot on this campus. And they are expectant in seeing the Lord do it. And it gives them eyes to see, how can I be used, Lord, the next night? And we see miracle after miracle because of this expectancy and the Lord showing up. Your worship can change the atmosphere. Your worship can change the atmosphere. Don't be discouraged because you've been fasting and praying and pressing into the Lord and you show up in here and you're giving everything you have but you just don't feel a connection or you still feel like there's a sin struggle that's hanging on to you because around you out in the community there may be people whose chains are falling off because of how you're worshiping on their behalf. Addictions are falling off because of how you're worshiping on their behalf. There may be someone down the road who's feeling for the first time no back pain because of how you're worshiping in here because the Lord is working on your behalf, on their behalf for what you're doing in here. Don't be discouraged because you don't know the impact that your worship is having. You don't know the influence that's going on in our community. Do you believe that your worship can change the atmosphere? That as you drive through Bernie, do you pray over our city? Wherever you are from, do you pray over your community and your town? When you drop your students off at school, your kids off at school, do you pray over the school and the faculty, especially those teachers who annoy you? When you're in traffic, do you pray for the person who just cut you off? Some of y'all are nodding. No, you don't. I don't. None of us do. <laughs> That's straight from the Lord. We need to do that. Do you believe that your worship can change the atmosphere and the trajectory of someone else's life? Paul and Silas worshiped at midnight and they saw life change, not just in the prisoners, but in the Roman guard as well. There was life change all around. The proper way in which we worship is through obedience and aligning your heart with the Lord's so that everything you do then becomes an act of worship. The moment we relegate worship to lyrics on a scream, the moment we relegate worship to a certain type of music genre or by people who lead it is the moment that we limit God's work in our life because we put him in a box. And that's the moment that we limit God's work in our community because we keep him in this one. And we won't worship outside of these four walls and people won't see Jesus in us because we only do it on Sunday morning. We don't do it while we're in traffic. We don't do it at home. We don't do it while we're eating dinner. We don't do it while we're picking up canes. We don't do it when we're out and about, with, when we're at H-E-B and we're stuck in the grocery line for another 15 minutes. We're not worshiping then because it's hard. We're not worshiping when there's pain because we don't see the light. See, a lot of us, if we can admit, we like to think that we'll wait till it gets better to worship. But the reality is that we worship and then it gets better. We worship and then it gets better. And your physical situation may not change, but your perspective can and your outlook can. And as you worship, you may see that though you don't have the bank account that you'd like to have, the limited money and income that you have is already a blessing itself. That you may not have the car that you desire, but the bicycle that you have is better than walking. That though your family's hurting, you've still got a family. Your perspective can change because of how you worship. And it's often hardest to worship in the middle of the night because of what we're going through. Do you have the fortitude and the spirit to worship when it's hardest? Do you have the desire to say that God is still good even though your life situation isn't proving that? Because that's when our worship is most sincere. Now Stan, we're gonna go back into worship. I wanna pray. I pray that there will be freedom in this house and in this room. That whatever response looks like to you in worshiping, that you would take steps towards it. That as, as Dominique said, we would take those uncomfortable steps sometimes. 
that we would step out of our comfort zone and chase after the Lord with everything we have and we'll see, we'll see new things because of that because he likes to be pursued just as much as he pursues us. God, would you do a new work in this house? Would you do a new work in someone's life? God, I pray for breakthrough where there's breakdown. God, I pray for chains to break off in this house because of authentic worship coming forth. Maybe not even in this, in this small room, but in this community because of how we're worshiping on behalf of other people. That they might know Jesus because of how we worship in here. God, we pray for breakthrough all and around, all through us and wherever we go. In your name, amen. When you choose to worship in the dark, you'll begin to see his light. We worship you in the middle of everything we do, God. We seek you in it all because we know there's no disconnect between what we're doing and how we can worship. And so we seek your glory above everything else because you're worthy of it. You're simply worthy of it and you choose to love us. And so God, we return that in how we worship you. As we leave this building and go back into our communities, we pray that people would see Jesus in us through our worship and everything we do, God. That your name would be lifted high. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, as we talk about worship, there are some practical steps that we can take. Maybe you're not there yet as a mindset to see everything you do as worship, but you desire to be. There are some practical things that you can do to make baby steps towards that. And one of them is that our creative team creates set lists every Thursday, I believe, for the upcoming Sunday. And it shows the worship songs that we'll be singing. And what I challenge you to do is check those out on social media and begin to play them whenever you can. Play them as you're driving to work or to school or wherever you're doing or going. Pray, play them and pray. Play them as you do housework. Whatever you're doing, I pray that you would see that worship can be influenced by it, that you can put worship in the middle of it. And then your mindset can take another baby step and you can continue to press into all that the Lord has for you. We love you guys. The prayer ministry team is going to be up here. If you guys want prayer for anything, we'd love to support you in that way. Y'all are dismissed. Have a great Sunday.